This episode of the Astro Powder Podcast is brought to you by Gamma. Synchronized monitoring and control of your entire automated process is the core of Gamma's Magic Control 4.0 data management systems. With options like line management, offering deeper insight into productivity and consumption, or energy management, allowing you to monitor and save both energy and air consumption, or batch management, offering tracking of powder used to coat production batches. Gamma provides the very best in technology and connectivity for smarter factory automation. To learn more about Gamma's Magic Control 4.0 data management systems, visit completeitwithgamma.com. When you want to know that everything is covered, complete it with Gamma. Hello, all you powder coating fans. Welcome to our episode six of the Ask Joe Powder Podcast. 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 Thanks for taking time to join us. I'm your host, Joe Powder, a.k.a. Kevin Biller. And with me is my esteemed colleague and sidekick, Nathan. He's our powder formulator dude. Hey guys, we're broadcasting from the Powder Coating Research Group studios in Columbus, Ohio. And the purpose of our podcast here is to bring news, technical know-how to the global powder coating community. Let's get it rolling. Before we do, I'd like to give a kind shout out to Neil McMeekin and Jared Ando for setting up the Edmund Mon Catalyzing Creativity Scholarship in honor of our recently passed colleague Edmund Mon, who was a technology formulator for Sherwin Williams powder coatings. Uh, he passed away in April. Um, what Neil and Jared have on the description of uh, the scholarship fund, uh, they said Edmund has mentored many in the field of chemistry, which he loves so much. These guys have established this campaign to generate the funds for the startup of this scholarship. Uh, and in it, they say the scholarship will be awarded to two candidates annually in Edmund's name. Uh, if you'd like to donate, please go to the GoFundMe website and type in Edmund Mon. That's m-a-h-n in the search box and uh you'll you'll get a, a link to this scholarship okay so now some news in our guess what segment yeah the powder coating institute has announced their selection of actually three 2020 hall of fame inductees this year the inductees are david beamish terry giles and john Heyer. Uh, receiving this recognition posthumously, Beamish was the president of DeFelsco. He was a dedicated advocate for PCI and the entire powder coating industry. He was involved with the education committee and also led to the creation of the testing equipment module for PCI's training workshops. You know, we, we knew David personally. He was... Uh just a wonderful man. He was a, a contributor for years to the Powder Coating Summit, always enthusiastic, 
friendly, um, excited about bringing new technology to the industry. And, and he's greatly missed by, by the industry and, and by us as well. And Giles served the PCI for almost 30 years. He was heavily involved in education and technical committees. And most notable, his contribution to the powder coating, the complete finisher's handbook. Heyer was also an active PCI member for many years. He was the president of Kettle Moraine Coatings for more than 40 years. Through his leadership, the company received multiple awards and recognition, as well as the reputation of a premier coder. His involvement with PCI supported the certification, custom coder, membership, and technical development committees. The induction ceremony for this year's honorees will take place at the annual meeting uh, in 2021 in Montana. And more news, Python Stream Solutions defense coatings business announced that their white 37875 Type 3 top coat powder coating meets the newest Type 3 military specification approval for Kark powder coating top coats. That's the chemical agent resistant coating that officially places them on the U.S. government's QPD, which is the Qualified Products Database for the DOD and the Army's Research Lab. Okay, now on to our what gets me mad segment. And really today I don't want to talk about what gets me mad. I think it's a little bit more of a public service announcement. And this regards antimicrobial coatings. Now, what I can say is, as the world does its best to fight the wages of the coronavirus pandemic, many researchers are scurrying to concoct an antiviral silver bullet. And the concept of doing this, you know, to kill the coronavirus is both medically and commercially very attractive. However, like Paul Harvey always said, there's more to the story. And and basically, the concept of encasing a surface with an antimicrobial coating and expecting it to be the solution to crushing this aggressive virus may be misplaced. And to give you some background, antimicrobial agents are considered pesticides by the United States federal government, and they're regulated by the EPA. Specifically, they're governed by the FIFRA, or Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act. That's a good word. Um, but what I want to make, the tongue. point I want to make, uh, my friends, is the EPA recognizes two very important classes of antimicrobial substances. And when I say antimicrobial, that includes antiviral. One of the classes deals with agents that are proven to kill microbes and therefore provide a quantifiable impact on the health of the general public. Registration for this type of substance requires an extremely high level of testing by the EPA before it's approved. And this testing can run into hundreds of thousands of dollars and can take years to, to be achieved. The second category of the EPA recognizes antimicrobial agents that can be used, and, and, and pay attention, 
to protect the treated article and does not necessarily improve public health. The EPA calls this the treated articles exemption, and it's for non-public health use of a pesticide that is intended to protect, like I said, only the treated article. Consumers may distinguish such products by the absence of the EPA's pesticide registration number, which would be on the product label. The EPA goes further with regards to how the claims that can be made for products that protect articles. And they they even tell the producer what statements they can use on their literature. And basically they say, treated articles or substances are limited to statements like, this product contains a preservative built in or applied as a coating only only to protect the product. And they give examples. But the thing that's really important for everybody to understand is that even though these statements are required by law when describing a product, people can still use the terminology antimicrobial. And by using the term antimicrobial, it gives the implied attribute of providing a benefit to the health of the general public. And that may be beyond the properties that the product is actually uh, delivering. Um, antimicrobial powder coatings have been around for over a decade. And, and innovations are currently being pursued by many people. So we'll see what the future holds. But all I can say, my dear powder coating friends, the concept of employing an antimicrobial powder coating to make the world safe from this insidious virus may only be a minor contribution to this relentless battle. All right, powder coating fans, it's time for our Q&A portion of our podcast. And our first question comes from Ildiko Kiss in Hungary. She says, Dear Joe, we're producing Christmas ornaments, and after cleaning all the small parts, we take them to a workshop, which is not ours. The firm has a 12 cubic meter oven. There's a wagon to pull the coated items into the oven. One man used WD-40 lubricant to ease rolling the wheels. After this, we started to coat and stove our ornaments. Of course, craters came one after another. This happened six days ago. The first time, we didn't know what happened. And then I read your article. Could you suggest something, a method, or chemicals to clean the oven? It has no ventilation, just the door we put in the parts. Thanks for your answer in advance. Ah, Mrs. Kiss, thanks for your question. It's the omnipresent WD-40 problem. We've run into this many, many times, uh, Mrs. Kiss, um, and I'm glad you identified the problem. Now let's come up with a way to fix it. Here's what I would start with. Uh, It sounds as if your coder is using a rack or a a wagon to uh, hang parts and rolling it into their oven. What I would do is start with the wheels of this, this rack. Spray them down with a solvent. You can use a squirt bottle of acetone, which is, I would expect, pretty easy to purchase at your local DIY store. Um, If you cannot get acetone, you can go to an auto parts store and get brake cleaner, uh, which comes in an aerosol from your 
uh, auto parts store. Um, so I would clean your parts with these, with a solvent such as these, and then I would have your maintenance person use a non-silicone lubricant in the future. Uh, what I would suggest is a graphite-based one. The next thing I would do is wipe down the interior surfaces of your oven. A shop cloth dipped in acetone will work. After a thorough wiping, I recommend burning off any remaining re residue by heating your oven to a relatively high temperature. And of course, that depends on the limits of your heating capability. I would bake your oven out for at least two hours and ensure that adequate exhaust is available to eliminate the vapors. This might involve opening the door of the oven slightly. Next, before you commit a number of good parts, I would coat and bake perhaps a few scrap parts to see if you've eliminated the problem. If you still see craters, you may have to disassemble the interior panels of your oven and thoroughly clean them again. Good luck. I wish you success. Joe Powder. All right, the next question is, Dear Joe, I don't know much about powder coating. I was hoping you could answer your question for me. We have a Victorian kitchen sink that we're considering having powder coated. We'll be washing dishes and using the sink for food preparation, washing vegetables and other food items in the sink. I read on your site that if a container is to be used to store food items, powder coating used should be food safe. What about for a kitchen sink? We have young children want to make sure the things we use are safe for them. Are there advantages of using powder coating over other finishes, such as acrylic? The sink is porcelain enamel, but we've not been able to find anyone that does this type of finish anymore. Thanks in advance for any assistance you could provide. Julie Eichstead, London, Ontario. Hey, Julie. Thanks for your question, and I appreciate your concern. You are very wise to carefully consider which finish to use on your kitchen sink. And I can think of a lot of reasons, some of them you've mentioned, but, you know, contact with children, contact with food, like you said, contact for the future inhabitants of your home. Think about it. What if you were giving a newborn a bath in the sink? And even if you consider the notion of leaching into your water system, your local water system. And luckily, we have answers to your concerns. As a matter of fact, it's very common commercially to apply food-grade powder coatings to wire shelving, using refrigerators and, and other items for uh, refrigeration and even food processing equipment. Um, these would be qualified under the U.S. federal government Code of Federal Regulations, which is CFR 175.300. The NSF also has a, a very similar regulation called NSF 51. So here's what I suggest you do. Request your powder coating use an FDA acceptable powder coating to refinish your sink. The majority of these, as you can imagine, come in any color you like as long as it's white. If you'd like a custom color, you're going to have to go to a powder coating manufacturer and ask for custom-made product. If you need 
some suggestions on that, I can chase down some, some good candidates to do that for you. Another very important thing to remember is to have your powder coater adequately prepare the old finish to ensure good adhesion of the powder coating. And really, this entails roughening the surface. Um, you know, a blasting media is a good idea. Then thoroughly cleaning it before the powder coating is applied. I'd recommend uh, you know, a, a solvent like acetone to wipe it down before the powder is applied. As far as a competitive finish, as you've asked, I'm not sure what's still available. If you choose a powder coating, you'll be kind to the environment, as of course we have no solvent or paint sludge, in addition to getting the very best finish. Thanks for your question, Joe. Now a quick message from our sponsor. Gamma's Optiflex Pro Manual Gun uses Power Boost technology, which gives you the industry's highest charging power at 110,000 volts and 110 microamps, allowing for faster and more efficient powder coating. We're handing you more power, more quality, and more control. For a demonstration, call 877-437-6771. Once again, that's 877-437-6771. And be sure to mention, Ask Joe sent me. When you want to know that everything is covered, complete it with Gamma. Our next question comes from Derek in Kansas. He says, Hi Joe, I hope this message reaches you well. We've been having pinhole issues. The pinholes are small and you can only see them with an LED flashlight. Wow, Derek, thank you. Thank you for the question. And uh, that's a very broad question. And uh, let me give you some ideas where pinholes can emanate because there's a number of sources of this pervasive coating defect. So without knowing any of the specifics, I'll give you some of the possibilities. First on my list is hot dip galvanized steel. Uh, HDG steel emits hydrogen gas when heated to temperatures that are typically used to cure powder coatings. Uh, the emission of this hydrogen causes very distinctive small pinholes. The solution to eliminating pinholes caused by this is to preheat the substrate to around, say, 160 degrees Celsius and then spray the part while it's still warm. And I'd recommend uh, maybe 120 to 130 degrees Celsius, you know, about 250 degrees Fahrenheit. That should eliminate the problem if that's the cause. The other uh, source of pinholes that I can, can identify is using what they call TGIC-free or non-TGIC polyester powder coatings. These type of powder coatings emit water during cure which in turn can cause pinholes, especially at thicker films, which, you know, thicker films, we'd say 100 microns or around 4 mils or more. A third source of pinholes could be polyurethane powder coatings. Polyurethanes typically emit a blocking agent during cure. Uh, this 
blocking agent uh, chemically is E-caprolactam. And just like the TGIC polyesters, these pinholes occur at thicker films, um, you know, four to five or more mils, you know, 100 to maybe 125 microns. Another source of pinholes could be what we'd call wet parts. Typically, people pretreat their parts with an aqueous um, solution or series of aqueous solutions. Um, pretreatment provides excellent adhesion, and with it, usually much better corrosion resistance. However, if the parts are not adequately dried before the powder is applied, that water has to go someplace, and it will represent itself as pinholes in the finished powder. So make sure your parts are dry. A fifth source of pinholes, which there's a lot of things that can go wrong if you're not careful, but environmental contamination. Uh, airborne contaminants can cause pinholes. We talked about lubricants like WD-40, and I know some certain aerosols can be problematic. So make sure your spray area and just as important, the intake air to your system are not contaminated with extraneous airborne materials. Another source of pinholes could be contamination from other dissimilar powder coatings. What can be said is not all powder coatings are compatible. Uh, for instance, polyurethanes can contaminate polyesters and hybrids, and acrylics typically can contaminate just about any other powder coating. So be aware what, what's in your shop. The last thing I want to say is dirty parts. If your parts aren't clean, just dust from the environment can cause pinholes. So perhaps wiping down with a, a, a clean solvent like acetone can eliminate these contaminants. I hope this helps. But if you can give me specifics of your materials and operation, I think I can really help nail this down. Then Derek clarifies that it's a non-TGIC. It's a caterpillar yellow. Aha. This makes sense. Yellows usually require thicker film to achieve opacity. For us formulators, it's really hard to get a good opaque yellow coating that looks acceptable at a thinner film. Consequently, they're usually applied in thicker films. At the same time, you mentioned that it's a non-TGIC polyester, which means it emits water during the cure um, process. So, thicker films plus water emissions equal pinholes. You either need thinner films or better formulated powder. Mic drop. Okay, well, that's our show for today. Thanks for taking time listening to our stuff. We'd love it if you could tune in next time when we're going to tackle the answer to achieving 500 hours gasoline resistance in a powder coating. And we're also going to talk about the importance of particle size distribution in a powder coating and the effect it has on powder spray performance, reclaim, 
and basic behavior in your powder coating system. Well, you can find Joe Powder, um, the column in Powder Coated Tough Magazine, which is a publication of the Powder Coating Institute. You can also find it um, in PPCJ, Paint Polymers Coatings Journal, which is issued by our friends in the United Kingdom, and also Finishing Flash, at, uh, which is produced by Peyton Coatings Industry, uh, and it's on their website. You can find more about us online at askjoepowder.com. You can subscribe to the podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts. We're now on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, any of the apps that you normally use. If you have a question for Joe, you can send us an email at askjoepowder at yahoo.com, or you can leave us a message on our voicemail. That's country code 1-478-2-ASK-JOE, which is 1-478-227-5563. This has been a production of the Powder Coating Research Group. The original music, recording, and editing is done by Nick Page. Are you up for the downstroke, CC? And keep your powder dry, friends. Thank you for listening to the Ask Joe Powder Podcast. This episode was brought to you by GEMA. Whether you're the shop manager, system engineer, or powder coder, once you decide to make GEMA an integral part of your shop, you'll understand how simple it is to be so productive. For a demonstration, call 877-437-6771. Once again, that's 877-437-6771. And be sure to mention, Ask Joe sent me. When you want to know that everything is covered, complete it with Gamma. And we're back. The next question is from Derek in Olath, Kansas. Is that how you pronounce it? Olathe. Olathe. Bathy. Why don't we just say he's from Kansas? <laughs> I can look it up and see. Ah, the omniscient. WD-40 caper. Acetone. 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 Acetone.